thanks for that last song, too. And what she just was announcing to you, um, just in terms of things that we do here at Grace and opportunities that are afforded to you, is we are really trying to live out that song of building our life on Jesus. And the message series we're going to be talking about uh, February, March, is really all about that. And it's really something you're going to be hearing all of 2024 because of, of how serious we want to take that, of building our life on Jesus. And so the opportunities, the, the things we do here, we want to make sure that that's what we're trying to do. We don't want to just fill time. We don't want just to uh, do things for the sake of doing things. We really do uh, want to be able to use these various ministries as ways in which you can build your life on the person of Jesus, uh, because that's really what being a disciple is all about. That's the, the message series we're going to be talking about um, for the next couple of months. Next Sunday, uh, they mentioned the gym winter thaw. That's just a, a retreat, a winter retreat that our kids are going on. And the focus for that weekend is just trying to build their Jesus into their life. And it's getting away from everything for a little while and, and having a lot of fun together. Uh, so if that's something that your youth were interested in, as Jody said, please talk to Kim. One of the uh, organizations we've had a long relationship with at, at Grace Church, but really the denomination, and, and if you've been a part of evangelicalism within the last like 50 years, you've probably heard the name Christian Endeavor. Christian Endeavor is an organization that seeks to really minister to and help disciple youth and equip those who are trying to do that themselves to disciple youth. And so we as a denomination and us as a church have uh, partnered with uh, Christian Endeavor and specifically uh, we've had Josh Good come up and share at our youth meetings and a couple of us have uh, been in contact with him throughout the year. And I just asked Josh if he'd come uh, next Sunday and just come and share. We're talking about discipleship, and I wanted him to really specifically lean into discipling the next generation. And so he's going to kind of talk about how we do that as a church. Uh, if you are part of Grace Church, maybe you were baptized here, maybe you were confirmed here. If you join Grace Church, the language we use is that we become responsible for everybody that's a part of this church family. So my two daughters that are growing up here, you are a part of discipling them, and so are your kids with everybody else. And so I asked Josh if he'd come and just talk about how we can do that really well as a church. What does Scripture say to us about how we're supposed to do that? And so Josh is going to come uh, next Sunday and be here with us uh, for our worship in, in both of our services just to kind of talk to us about that. And I asked him to do that because I'm really trying to build into uh, this idea of being a discipling movement. Um, if you were here last Sunday, uh, you got to hear Bishop Randy speak about being a movement or a settlement. I don't remember what his message was actually called, but those were the two words that just stood out to me. Even though I wasn't here, I was listening uh, in what he said. So I, I want to get into this um, in, in just a second. I had a, a message this morning on the answering machine from Sandy 
Siders, Sandy and Henry are neighbors of Kelly Nunemacher and uh, come to church. But last night, Henry blacked out and he fell. And so he's at the hospital now and they're trying to figure out exactly why that happened. So Sandy called and just said, hey, do you guys mind praying for uh, Hank? Everybody calls him Hank. So uh, his name is Henry. Maybe nobody even calls him Henry anymore. I don't know. If you guys would play, pray for Hank, I said, sure, we will definitely do that before we get into the word. Also, I just want to say thank you for praying for uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan Junkin's dad and, and Ashley's uh, father-in-law, Regine, who's, if you remember, we talked about a double lung transplant that he had. Uh, so his body seems to be accepting those lungs, but there's other complications going on as a result of that. So he's obviously still at the hospital, and I just want to keep him before us and that we keep praying uh, for him and that God would just bring healing to his body as well. Uh, and one more thing, if you are connected with our email newsletter, if you're not, you should, because everything Jody said, everything you see up here is in your inbox weekly, uh, but it also gives you a list of things to be praying about. All these people that we talk about here at Grace Church, maybe you know some, maybe you don't, doesn't matter. Uh, they know that we are, as a church, praying for them. And also, there's things that happen at Grace Church that we put that stuff in there because we're hoping you pray uh, for what God wants to do within this body. And so one of those things was a ministry council retreat. And what that means is the leadership of this church got together Friday and Saturday to talk about this church and what God wants to do. Uh, in January, we had our congregational meeting. Maybe some of you were at that. We talked about just our budget. We talked about some of that 100K fund stuff that we're doing and ways in which we want to continue to uh, make sure that our facility is a place that we can do ministry at for a long, long time. But that group that met there also at a congregational meeting had a list of people that give leadership to this church. Um, and that list of people can also be found other places here. Uh, you know some of them, you meet some of them, but I just want you to know you should be grateful for the leaders you have at this church. What we look for in leadership is not degrees and expertise. We look for what the scripture tells us to, and that's spiritual maturity. People who are sold out for Jesus, people who are striving to follow him, the kind of character traits that Scripture says ought to be amongst those leaders. We, we are fortunate to have those leaders. Nothing at this church happens by itself. It's because God uses people to do it. And I'm grateful as the pastor to have those leaders, to have those people who are doing it. So if you saw that and you were praying for that ministry council retreat, thank you. And this is just a reminder that when you see those things, Please commit those to prayer. Nothing happens. This idea of being a movement doesn't happen just because we really work hard. I think we, we ought to, but it happens because we're going before the Lord and saying, God, we want what you want to have happen. Help us to make that happen. And I'm just grateful after coming off of that, those two days, Friday and Saturday, we meet at my house and down here at the church for people giving their time to do that and uh, give leadership uh, to this church. So before we get into the word here this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I am so thankful uh, that we can come together in this place, and God, that you have put together a, a church family, um, 
brothers and sisters, sons and daughters because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's in his name we've gathered here this morning, and it's in his name that we come before you. God, we recognize that um, who knows what happened this past week, uh, but this is a great place to start a new week. God, we know that we don't always keep you number one. We don't always keep you as a priority in our life. God, we can't say that we've loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength each and every day. And so we, we just come and confess that to you, God. We come and say there's some maybe sin in our life that we just keep dealing with, Lord, and we confess that to you. And, and God, we just uh, come before you and are thankful that in replace of condemnation and judgment, we get mercy and grace. And what a great uh, opportunity when we start a new week to be reminded of that. Because we have no clue what's going to happen in the week ahead of us. Of course, Henry, Hank had no idea what was going to happen last night. And so, Lord, I am thankful that he is, he is at the hospital. He is, he's okay, but they've got to figure out some stuff that's going on. And so I pray for the doctors and nurses doing that, that they would be able to figure that out, Lord, and help him. God, we pray that you would be with him, be with Sandy as well, as just the uncertainty is, is always creating anxiousness within us, Lord. So I just... Pray that you'd give them a calm spirit, Lord, and uh, just give them peace. So we lift them up to you today, Lord. I pray, too, for Regine and just ask that you would be with him as, God, it's uh, obviously amazing that we can do a, a double lung transplant, but we know that that takes a, a huge toll on the body and just lots of other uh, extenuating circumstances with that, Lord. And so we just... God, we are praying that you would touch his body, Lord. I'm thankful for the nurses and doctors who have such expertise to care for him. But Lord, we know that you are the best caregiver there is. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be with him and just bring healing to him. May his body continue to accept these lungs, Lord. And uh, may you just be with him and his family, his wife, Nathan and Ashley, and Nathan's brother, Lord, and, and his family. And God, may they just sense your presence in their life. God, thank you for a great church family, for the leaders that have felt that call to step into that leadership, Lord, the ways in which you've gifted them, the many people who serve uh, to help one another build our life on Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to continue to do that and really be even more intentional than we already have in this next year. And Lord, as we open your word, may you speak to us through it. And God, may your spirit uh, give us what we need today, and uh, may we hear from him clearly as we get into the book of Ephesians, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you didn't hear uh, Randy's message, uh, shame on you, you should have been here, but it was a good message. The good news is you can still hear it uh, at our website or at our YouTube channel. It is up there. It's not an absolute must for the sermon series I'm going to be doing, but I called him and I said, hey, thanks for the assist. Everything you said is really just giving me the ability to launch into what I'm going to share. And I've heard him say this before because he's taking this message throughout the denomination. He, he wants us to be a movement. And there's a difference between a movement and a settlement. He explained all that last Sunday. And so he's, he's saying as a denomination, we want to be that. Well, a denomination is made up of local churches. So he won't see that happen. His prayer, he's been praying it for a long time. 
His prayer will not come to fruition if we don't own that prayer as well as a church. And so I, I want to do that as the pastor of the church. And so this idea of movement and settlement uh, just really stuck with me uh, because there is a big difference. And there's also a big difference between one person getting on board with something and moving and a whole group of people doing that. So he gave you some of the numbers last week about what Joshua had to do to get a whole group of people to move. And it's not easy, but when that whole group of people move, it's a big deal. It, it, it makes waves. It, people start talking. They were getting nervous over there in the promised land when this whole group of people were coming and they started hearing stories that God was giving them this land. So that's what we're trying, that's what I'm thinking about, praying about, trying to think through. And so that led me to this passage in Scripture, but really the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be really camping out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 13 or 16. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the whole letter, the book of Ephesians. We call it a book, but it's actually a letter that was written. And I, and I would encourage you, and I'll say this again at the end, but I would encourage you just to read through the whole thing. It's going to be really helpful as we talk about some things throughout this sermon series. Now, the title of it is Another Sermon Series in Discipleship. Now, you can say that two ways. Uh, another Sermon Series in Discipleship. Oh, goody. Or Another Sermon Series in Discipleship. I know that's how you're saying it. I can feel it. But my hope is that it's not just another sermon in discipleship. I do hope that this is a defining message series for us as a church, really, because movement doesn't happen if just one of us does it. Movement happens when there's a whole group of us doing it. And in my mind, it's not good enough if I just get it or if just a handful of you get it. I want us all to get this as best as we can. And what really drove this home for me, I, I shared, so this past July was 10 years that I've been here, and I've been saying multiple times since that time, because, you know, 10 years is kind of a defining marker. You look back at the last 10 years, and man, what a mess that was, and you look forward, and we can do a lot better. I'm not you, me, I was a mess in those last 10 years, but God's just really been... Uh, urging me, and, and urge is the word because I, I, I feel the sense of urgency to get serious about discipleship, which led me to a cabin in the woods. Now, I wasn't with you physically last Sunday, but Jess and I went to my cabin. This is a hunting camp before you think it's some beautiful chalet. Uh, right there, that's the outhouse. There is no running water at this cabin. And the picture I took, this was last Sunday. Now, today is not like last Sunday here. There's, uh, there's something in the, I'm not sure what's in the sky. It's yellowish. Uh, it, it's kind of blinding if you look at it. Maybe some scientists can figure out what that thing is. Last Sunday, this is what I was looking at, at our cabin. Snowing like crazy. I'm taking a picture from where my spring is because I got a hoof up five-gallon buckets of water. That's how we get water at this cabin. 
But I'm there last weekend while Randy's here preaching, and you're all listening, and Jess and I were listening because you did a wonderful thing. We did. The leadership is very smart here. They hired a wonderful person. Her name's Brenda Brown. She's our office admin. And we had a meeting in December. Kurt's lucky enough to be married to her. Man, you are a lucky guy, Kurt. Uh, we had a meeting in December with her and my wife and Dee, who is the uh, assistant director with the GMC, and we just talked about 2024, uh, my calendar for 2024. It takes three women to manage my life. I'm terrible at managing my own life, so I need those three women to help me do it. But Brenda's just like, ask the question, the, the church that they were a part of in New York when they lived there, she said their pastor did this. Do you just like take some time off just to think about sermon planning, ministry prep, all that kind of stuff? And I said, well, not really. I just do it during the week or, you know, whenever I'm in my office. And so she encouraged me to, to think about that. And so I did. And I think too hard about it because it gave me a chance to go to the cabin. So, so I went up there with my Bible, with a bunch of books, with Jess, and we just thought and talked and prayed about what God's doing at Grace Church. So I came back from there with, I was already thinking about this, but God just kind of clarified and solidified this. And then with our ministry council retreat, obviously prepping for that through that weekend of discussion and a couple of other days uh, with my leadership team. And that's really what led me to and, and why I feel very strongly about another sermon series in discipleship, because discipleship is so important to us as a church. If you read the Bible in the New Testament, the word Christian is used a few times, hardly ever. The word disciple is used all the time. And in our context, there is a difference. A Christian is somebody that can just sit in church, check off the box. Their life is no different. They don't actually build their life off of Jesus. Like, how are you orienting your life? Do you orient it around Jesus? Or does Jesus get oriented around everything else? Because building your life on Jesus is what discipleship is all about. And there is a difference in being a Christian and checking the box and being a follower of Jesus. And my heart is, because I believe it's what Jesus called us to do, is to be disciples who make disciples. Now, in any organization, maybe you're a part of one, any business, you have a mission statement. Most do. Have some kind of mission statement and there was a day, I don't know, I remember back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s where everybody had to redo all their mission statements and all that kind of stuff. And it was the biggest deal in the world. But the reason that people do that is because if you aren't clear about the mission, you can start drifting. It's, it's actually called mission drift. You start drifting from the original reason why you got in the business in the first place the original reason why your organization exists in the first place. And if we're not careful as a church, that same thing can happen. We can start drifting from our mission. The mission is very clear. Jesus gave it to his disciples. We've read it a hundred times. You've heard it if you've grown up in church a million times. 
to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you everywhere you go, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've heard that great commission. Are we doing that? Are we making disciples? Not are we making Christians, are we making disciples? There is a difference. And, and that's what I want this discipleship series to be about because we want, as a church, to make that very clear. Well, what is a disciple? In this sermon series, we're going to define that. What does a disciple look like? What do they do? We're going to define that. How do we get in that process? How do I know if I am living as a disciple? We're going to talk about that because we want to make it abundantly clear that what we're doing here is making disciples so that one day when you're rubbing shoulders with that person who needs to hear about Jesus, you have an opportunity to introduce them to him and then say, hey, you don't got to do this by yourself. I'm going to walk alongside you as you learn what it means to follow Jesus. That's why we exist as the church. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. He tells us why the church exists. If somebody asked you, you're just, you know, out to lunch or something, having coffee, having a drink, whatever, and they say, hey, why does the church exist? Why does the church even exist? Can you, can you tell me that? Do you know what you would say? I mean, we do a lot of different things as a church. We do lots of stuff. Does the church exist for those things, for helping those people, for, you know, going out and doing church left the building, for having Bible studies, for, for what? What does the church exist for? Why does the church exist? We are in luck. Paul gives us the exact answer we're looking for of why we exist and why it's important that we, not Ted, not the leadership team, we, not even just Grace Church. Movements don't happen just because one church decides to do something. There's a group of people meeting that way, that way, that way, that way, all in churches today. The mission that Grace EC Church has to be disciples and make disciples is every mission of every church. And the more we as churches understand that, the more movement-like this thing's going to be. And when movements happen, it, it changes a lot of things. We can see that throughout church history. If you read about the early stages of the Roman Empire, you hear one thing. By the end of it, it's called the Holy Roman Empire. Why in the world is it the Holy Roman Empire? Because everybody's a Christian now. And what we call Western civilization spawns from that whole movement that got started, I wonder who was in charge of Jerusalem in Jesus' day and the disciples' day. Oh, it was the Romans. Until the end of that time, the gospel, the disciples, had changed the entire world. Now, maybe you think that's too big. Ted, you want us to change the world? Okay, you don't have to change the world. Let's just change our families. How about our community? What about our county? What would it look like if all of us as churches got on the same page 
and we strive to be disciples who make disciples. What do you think would be different in our county? Let's just start there. But first we have to know why we exist as a church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, again, this is a letter. It's a letter that was probably passed around to many churches in a city called Ephesus. Paul spent about three years there, made a lot of good friends, did a lot of teaching, had a lot of people that became followers of Jesus because of that. But it seems, scholars tell us, that this letter is not specifically to that one church in Ephesus. It seems that this letter was passed all over the place. So the whole region hears these words from Paul. And the other important thing about this letter, I think, different than some of the other letters Paul writes, he's not really dealing specifically with an issue or a problem or a question. If you read Galatians, you can hear what the issue or problem or question is. First and Second Corinthians, he's addressing some specific issues happening in that church in Corinth. Ephesians is a little different. We can't necessarily find one specific issue. It, it seems like this letter, maybe more than some of the others, is really, really applicable across time and space. Now, we believe all of Scripture is, but we got to kind of put it into context all the time. But in this passage, in, in this letter, it seems like Paul is just talking to the church. If you're a church in Ephesus, in the first century, he's talking to you. In the 21st century, he's talking to you. You can open it up and you can read it. It's for all churches at all time, not dealing with a specific issue. That's important for us to understand. What Paul is saying here is this is every church. He's talking about every church, not just specific churches. He's probably in prison. We believe that he is actually in Rome, and he's in a prison in Rome. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's probably in prison because of his belief in Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. That's everybody that wasn't Jewish. Paul has done lots of missionary journeys into the Gentile world the gospel is continuing to move. This movement did not stay in Jerusalem. You can read about it in Acts. You can go to the women's Bible study and learn about it in Acts. It didn't stay. This movement was a movement because it didn't stay in Jerusalem. It's actually spreading all over the world. Paul's a prisoner in Rome for this reason, for Jesus. And surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's talking about his missionary journeys and the gospel that he was spreading in Ephesus and the surrounding area. That is, this is what he was talking about. The mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Now, we didn't read chapter 1 and 2. We're starting in chapter 3. So what he is saying there, as I have already written briefly, that's why I'm saying read chapter 1 and 2, read the whole letter. It's not long, six chapters, because he's letting us know what this mystery is. And this mystery is, is very clear, and that is the saving work of Jesus Christ and bringing salvation to all people through his life, death, and resurrection. The mystery made known to me by revelation talking about his come-to-Jesus moment. That was on the Damascus Road. 
if you remember that story from Acts 9, Jesus appears to Paul, and now Paul becomes, who was a persecutor of the church, becomes the greatest missionary for the church. That's what discipleship looks like. One day you're killing Christians, and the next day you're trying to make Christians. So he says in verse 4, in reading this then, he's talking about the letter that he's writing, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, is not, which was not made known to people in other generations, and it has, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So he's, he's saying God chose not to make this known in the Old Testament in previous generations. He chose this time and space to make this mystery known through coming to earth through Jesus and now through the holy apostles and prophets. Who's he talking about there? Moses, Ezekiel, Daniel, David, like all those important people? Peter and Andrew, James, John, all those disciples? Is that who he means? He's actually talking about the church, you and me. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people. This letter wouldn't pass around. He's talking to regular old folks like you and me. That this mystery has been made known to us. What's the mystery? Read chapter 1 and 2. It's all about what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That God would do that for rebellious, sinful human beings and give them life in place of death. That's, that is a crazy story that God himself will come to earth for us. And he's decided to use God's holy apostles and prophets. He's talking about us to do what? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now, we don't quite get this separation that existed. You know, we talk about it all the time, but it's hard for us to comprehend how separate Jews and Gentiles were and how that was ingrained in their whole life. If you remember with Jesus walking around with the disciples, they actually went around certain areas so they didn't have to walk through it. That was the whole meeting the woman at the well thing. The disciples normally went around that area. They didn't walk through it. Imagine doing that so you didn't have to be with a group of people. And now somehow this mystery of Jesus, he brings these two groups together. They're actually sitting next to each other. Now just think about the diversity of the church. Now we live in an area in Schuylkill County where the majority of us are Pennsylvania Dutch, grew up from Eastern European roots, goes back a long way. Our ancestors have been here a long time. But you're still bringing diversity with you in different ways. We're all different. And what we're seeing is that's sometimes a bigger deal than it ought to be because you have families separating because of who they voted for. That's ridiculous. You have sep families separating because of what they believe about Jesus. Somehow, through this mystery, God brings all of us with our different ideas, our different likes, the different things about us, and puts us all together in one space. And as we'll read in Ephesians, 
we all love each other. Or at least we're trying to love each other. We're all trying to love each other. Now, this was a big deal as God did that with Jew and Gentile. They've become members together, one body. Not this group over here and this group over here. And together they share in the promises that Jesus Christ gives. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. That's his come to Jesus story in, in Acts 9. But he realizes, Paul realizes, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, I am so undeserving of what God is doing in and through me. And he goes back to this grace which was given to me. He's saying, I am so undeserving to take this message and preach to all of you the boundless riches of Christ. Now, anybody who is in leadership in the church, certainly myself as a pastor, I can identify with Paul. I wasn't killing Christians. I had my own issues. And I can recognize it's only by God's grace. I am the least of all among Christians, that God would give me the opportunity to do exactly that. Preach the boundless riches of Christ. That's what we're talking about when we talk about following Jesus. That's what I mean when we talk about discipleship. That's what we're trying to do as a church, is that people would experience the boundless riches of Christ. They are real. They are tangible it's not just like, oh, yeah, I guess that happens when I die and go to heaven. Your life, I'm living proof. Other people have stood up in this church and said they are living proof of the boundless riches of Christ, and their life is different as a result. God has chosen to make plain to everyone the truth, the plan of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent. This is what God's desire is. You're sitting down with someone across the table and they say to you, why does the church even exist? His intent was that now, through the church, this is the reason the church exists. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord the manifold wisdom of God would be made known all across the planet. What is the manifold wisdom of God? It is that God, through Christ, would redeem all of broken humanity and, in fact, all of creation through a very strange process. Being born as a helpless baby. and going to a cross, and being killed on behalf of people who could care less about him. That is why it is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Greeks, Paul says other places, because it doesn't make sense. And yet that's how he has decided to tell the planet... So our families, our neighbors, our community, our county, 
all the people who believe they're in power and making decisions for all of us. It doesn't stop there. In fact, all of the forces of darkness that you and I cannot see but are just as real as the sun. We weren't sure if the sun was real, but it is. It's still there. Those forces that we don't see, Paul's saying, are just as real. And the point of the church, the reason the church exists, is to tell all those people, all those forces, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed and reconciled to your Creator. And it's so powerful of a thing that Jews who were on this side and Gentiles who were on this side and they tried not to meet in the middle are now one body calling each other brother and sister. And all of us from different places, different backgrounds, different upbringings come together as one body. And the mystery is that somehow through me turning from my sin and embracing Jesus as Lord, I've defeated sin, Satan has no hold over me, and death doesn't even bother me anymore. It's gone. When God said my good creation is in Genesis, it's done and it's good, death is an intruder in this world and it is no longer through Jesus. Satan thinks he has reign over everyone and we're enslaved and in bonds to the sin and they're broken. That's the mystery that Paul says the church exists to tell the planet. And in fact, all the forces arrayed against God's plan of redemption. That's why it's a movement. That kind of thinking changes people's lives. God decided to do it this way through eternity past. And the church exists to show the world that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, everything changes. You know how many conversations I've had with people that I've tried to share that with? That when they don't do that, I see their life just being destroyed more and more and more. I remember myself, I was on that road. I could see it. Others could see it. And somehow through this mystery, when I said, all right, God, I'm done fighting you. I'm done trying to keep these two worlds apart. If you've heard my story, you know, it goes back to Seinfeld, obviously. Independent George and Relationship George. I had to keep those worlds apart. It's a great episode. You should watch it. And it'll make sense to you. Ted's story. And when those worlds collided, what seems like maybe would be a terrible thing, it's actually when I first started living. It was as radical as being born again. That's the mystery of what God's doing in Christ. That is what we are showing to the world. Do I have to really work really hard for this? Do I have to do this and this task and this task and this task? Do I got to be super righteous? No, you just got to come to Jesus by faith. 
Turn from your life of sin and embrace Him as Lord. And when you do that, you experience new life. And Paul simply closes this passage as, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. He says, I'm not in, in prison that you should be discouraged. Actually, what's happening is I am glorifying Christ by sharing in His sufferings. Because Paul was a disciple. If there ever was one, it was Paul. And that's not because he was perfect. He goes from killing Christians to making Christians. God has chosen that now, right now, through the church, that would be all of us, the church down the street that way, that way, that way, and that way, and in fact, all over the planet. The ones I visited in India, in Japan, and Nepal, and Mexico, and everywhere else that we have churches. All over planet Earth, if you are part of the church, Big C, you are part of what Paul is talking about here. My prayer is that we, as Grace Church, begin a movement of disciple-making that has a ripple effect into our entire county. And other churches are already doing it, and we're looking for ways to partner together to make sure we're doing this together. There's something powerful about doing it together. So that the wisdom of God, seen through the saving work of Christ, that's, that's what it is. It's not like some special knowledge out there. The wisdom of God is that He has accomplished all this through Jesus, and when you put your faith and trust in Him, you can experience this too. That's different than just sitting in church for 20 years. That's not what a disciple is. A disciple is orienting your life off of Jesus. When we all do that together, you know, it's one thing if, yeah, I'm really glad Ted's excited about this, and I hope he has a good time with it. Or it's one thing if there's two dudes like, <laughs> Those two guys are weird. There, there's something wrong with them. That's not a movement. That's just two people trying to live out their faith. There's something powerful about, this is why Jesus prayed for it in John 17, the unity of the church on mission with God. Because what we're actually doing is putting the forces of darkness that you and I can't see with our eyes but are just as real as that tree out there, as that sun in the sky, it is putting those forces on notice that you have no reign in our lives. Sin is no longer keeping me in bondage. Satan is no longer going to keep me. Satan himself cannot stop me. And in fact, what Satan believes is the final blow to anybody's life, which is death. Death also has no hold over me. It didn't over Jesus. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we're still here meeting together. Because Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death itself. When we operate together... That's how we become a movement. So this, another series in discipleship, is talking about how we do that together. We talked about that at our ministry council retreat with our leadership, and we're going to be working on how we do that in 2024 and how you can be a part of getting into that process, that pathway of going from here with Jesus to here with Jesus 
that one day you're able to talk to somebody and say, it's, it's kind of like when I was eight years old, I just had to figure out where first base was when I was playing baseball. Just throw it over there. He's got a glove. Try and hit that glove. Just throw it over there. You've got to start somewhere. Maybe you feel like that's where you're at. I'm just kind of figuring this out. By the time I graduated high school, I played shortstop. You know, the only position that matters in baseball, I played shortstop. I'm just kidding. It's just the most important in baseball. And if there was a runner on first and third, two out, I knew exactly what to do. I knew where to stand on the field. I knew where I was throwing the ball right away. I didn't start there at eight. So we're going to talk about where we're all at. Let's figure that out. Where am I at? And how do I get to that place where now I'm talking to somebody about Jesus and helping them learn how to follow him? And my heart is, my desire is that we do this as a group. We're all moving in the same direction when we do this. So that starts with me. That's why we went to my cabin. And Bishop, Bishop Randy put out a, a challenge and encouragement. And he said he's establishing the first Wednesday of every month for prayer and fasting. He didn't say, hey, if you're a pastor, you have to do this. If you're an EC church, you have to do this. this is, he's just saying, look, I know this movement thing doesn't happen without prayer. And so I'm just taking to heart what my bishop is saying. I'm a good soldier or sailor. I get some orders. I know how to follow them. One of the things, and it doesn't have to be food. This Wednesday, the first Wednesday of February, I, I'm going to do that. And every first Wednesday of each month, I'm going to do it. And it might be something different each, each month. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I don't know if you're like me. Hopefully not. But I'll get on here. I, I read the news a lot. I'm interested in the news. I, I like what, to know what's going on around the world. I do that a lot. So I'm, and I don't have uh, cable or anything like that, so I'm not watching the news on TV. So I'm on my phone, and I'm, you know, scrolling up. Here's another article. Here's another headline. Click on that one. Holy cow, it's 20 minutes, 20 minutes later. I'm still looking at this thing. So here's what I'm doing. And, and I, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But I've decided this, I want to make this personal for, for Ted. I'm on this journey with you. I want this to be a movement as well. And I know maybe God's saying stuff to me and saying, all right, Ted, you want to do this, then here's some things that I think you need to work on in your life. So this Wednesday, I'm, I'm not looking at my phone for any of those. I don't care what happens in the world on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm actually, I mean, I try and do my Bible reading every day. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. But I'm saying to myself, what if I can give 15 more minutes, 20 more minutes to God and say, all right, God, I, I really want to hear from you. And rather than doing this, I'm giving it up. And today, I, I, I want to know what you think. I, I know what I'm talking about does not happen just because I really want it to. I know it happens because I believe it so much so that I'm willing to change my life to see it happen. Because I, I desperately... and. We can all see our county desperately needs the boundless riches that are found in Christ. 
And, and I don't want to just do church for the sake of doing church. I want to be sold out to what Jesus called us to do. Be disciples who make disciples. I want to do that in my life. I want to see that happen for us as a church. When it does, I believe, as Paul ends chapter 3 this way, I believe we'll see God do this. And you're going to hear this passage multiple times. I want to read this for you, and then I want to pray. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we think, ask, or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able, he's talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to do immeasurably more than all we can ask for, all we can think about. I can think and dream about a lot of stuff. Whatever you thought, Ted, Jesus can do immeasurably more than that. That's pretty big. That's what I'm praying Jesus does through another discipleship series. That this isn't just another one, but it's a defining one for us and our church. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you have called us into something that you yourself have started. This thing we call the church is, is really just groups of people all over the world gathering together because they love Jesus a lot. And they want to orient their life around him and everything that they do. God, I pray that you would help me to do that in my life. I know people are out there saying, wait, you're the pastor. Aren't you supposed to do that? Well, my life gets just as busy as everybody else's, Lord. So I know it starts with me. And so I pray, God, that you would help me to be a better disciple than I was so that we can make disciples. God, I pray that we as a church would see this as a, a defining moment for us that we would take seriously who you're calling us to be as disciples who make disciples. Lord, I don't want to just do church like we've always done church, Lord. That we just sit here and it's nice to sit in this place and sing songs and see each other. But God, we see that we have a great, big, wonderful mission that you've called us to. To share with other people the boundless riches that are found in Christ Jesus. So God, as we begin this series, remind us that when we start moving together, anything that we think or imagine, you can do immeasurably more than that. And God, I believe that you will. You will do immeasurably more than anything I can think or dream of. And I've been dreaming a lot. God, would you do it in my heart? Would you do it in this church? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.